Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Pass to the doorstep, they score! Philip Deneau from Point Black Range! And the Kings... You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. The offseason is upon us. What a bummer. The LA Kings made nine players available to the media today, in addition to Todd McClellan and Rob Blake. In this episode, Zach Dooley and I tried to hit all the important notes and take a final look back at the first round series between the Kings and Oilers. Season schedule is still a bit condensed due to COVID, so we'll take a week or two off, but then we'll be getting into draft prep, player evaluations, and more as the offseason unfolds. And if you've been paying any attention to this team at all, uh, you know how fascinating this offseason should be. All right, it is, uh, well, it wasn't a fun weekend for lots of reasons, uh, Zach. Uh, joining me now, Zach Dooley. I I know the answer, but how you doing, Zach? <laughs> you know, um, I've been better. Yeah, I've been worse. Yeah, um, there's always it's always somewhere in the middle, right? It's not the uh, not the absolute best I've ever been. It's not the absolute worst I've ever been. Um, certainly wish that that two zero scoreline in Game Seven went the other way. I wish we were doing this podcast, me in Calgary, you at home, or. Had the other game gone the other way, us both doing it in L.A., getting ready for round two, but not how it goes, right? No, and then like a chump, I drove out to Ontario Sunday night for a game that started at 8 p.m., and I'm not entirely sure why. Um, I actually do know why. It was explained uh, was, to me, but I forgot, so please. There was, a, uh, there was a graduation scheduled for that ah, day. So the yes. only way to play that game on that day was to do an 8 p.m., I'm guessing it didn't start right at eight either. I thought it was a little bit later than that. So that was, it's tough for a Sunday, huh? That's a tough Sunday start time. Especially, I, I wasn't going. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's an elimination game. The parent club has been eliminated the day before. Yeah. And it was one of those games where we're talking about the Ontario rain game for anybody not following <laughs> the train of thought here. Um, the rain train of thought. Yeah. It was. I want to say it was four to two late in the third. Yeah. And the rain decided to put on an unbelievable press with about three minutes left in the game. They never scored. Um, Unfortunately, the end result was that the last three minutes of the game that was taking place at around 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday took an extra 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that we were doing, you know, post-series um, media interviews with Martin Furk and Cameron Gauntz and Chris Height 
I don't know, like around 1130 or something. And then, you know, didn't get home till past midnight and then had received an email earlier in the day that had to be in El Segundo at 9 a.m. for uh, for the uh, season ending media availability for the L.A. King. So a long Sunday. Apologies for not having an episode ready to go Monday morning. But uh... you know what? In a lot of ways, I think it benefited because I think it benefited us to wait this one day. Yeah, sure. We have gotten this information. You know, we can yes. have to go in saying, what happened to Victor Arvinson? We still don't know. Now, you know, we right. have the answers to some of those questions. We can, you know, weigh in with that information, give some information, our takes on it. So in some ways that was good. Um, in other ways, I'm guessing as we're recording this, you've got your bed already prepped, ready to hop oh. in. And it is prepped. Get some, get some well-deserved sleep. Yeah. Um, so good and bad. Good and bad. Yeah. So let's let's start with game seven before we go into the yeah. immediate availabilities that happened this morning. Because there's a lot of ground to cover there. Um you kind of forget after you went through those interviews today that that game even happened. Like it feels like so <laughs> I would love to forget. <laughs> um well I, I will certainly say this, and it was an ex- it was an emotion that I experienced. You and I talked about it the whole series. I was obviously disappointed that they lost. I'm not thrilled with it. It wasn't, you know, it was a negative emotion. But I really, and and even though, you know, rationally, I was talking to some fans who, who came out to me during the rain game, you know, and asked me what I thought about game seven and everything. And I sort of hemmed and hawed and, you know, listen, at some level, Connor McDavid, you have to just tip your hat to him. Guy had, what, 14 yeah. points in seven games? It's just really, really Two good. points a game in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I think I read uh, a stat that that was the fourth highest point total in a series in Oilers history. I mean, there and you go. <laughs> think about the teams that they had. Yeah. In an era where games, playoff games were decided 8-7, and it was still the fourth. I'm surprised it wasn't behind five of Gretzky so like alone like that's how good that series was and the Kings didn't have Victor Arvidsson they didn't have Drew Doughty they didn't have shot there's a million different points to hit but yeah. at the end of the day uh, I don't even want to use that cliche as I said to some of the people at the rain game really game six was the one that got away and we heard Todd McClellan or yeah. somebody say that earlier today game I've six was the and, one and Matt yeah I said 100 percent right that's yeah. the one that got away and so they could have, there was, they had the opportunity, home ice advantage, the ball was on their court, whatever you want to, whatever cliche metaphor you want to go with. They didn't get it done. It's a bummer. But I really am overwhelmed more with appreciation for how the season went than I am feeling some sort of catastrophic, you know, sense of, of failure. When I wrote about it, the transition line I used was it was a disappointing end to anything but a disappointing season. And I feel like good that line. sums it up pretty <laughs> well, right? Line, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm really, I'm really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, when the Kings tied the game in game six, Carl Grundstrom, I thought they were going to win the series. Yeah. You know, a lot, like a I thought lot of they had all the momentum. I thought it was going to go down to about five minutes left, which it did at 2-2. And I thought the Kings were going to get that goal as they seem to have done all year. They didn't. Still felt fine going into game seven. Um, after 20 minutes in game seven, I was like, hey, that's the period the Kings are pretty happy with. They shrunk the game from 60 to 40. It's what they want to do. And then it it went the other way. And from that point on, the Kings were the second best team in game seven. Um, and that is disappointing. 
for sure, because it was a winnable series against a beatable team. Um, but when you look at the course of 89 games, I think it's hard to be disappointed because the Kings hit what I think is a, a short to medium term goal, which was make the playoffs, even though they fell short of what the longer term goals were. There was a, a sentiment that I heard echoed that I really strongly disagree with. And I hope it's not the takeaway from the series. And I realize that it may sound like sour grapes. But I heard a lot of people saying, well, there you have it. Edmonton has a game breaker and the Kings don't. You know, Connor McDavid was the difference in the series. And that's what it came down to. He took over game six and game seven. And the Kings need a version of Connor McDavid in order to compete. And I just want to remind everybody that Connor. So did the other 31 teams. Well, yeah, yes. That that is also, yes, a very true statement. But also, we're talking about a series that everybody concedes the Kings could have won in six. Right. Regardless of the existence of that game breaker. And yeah. Connor McDavid, I don't know how old he is, but, you know, to this point in his career has had disappointing outings in the playoffs, maybe not by his own personal point total. But I, I don't want the lesson of this playoff loss to be, well, the Kings don't have a generational talent and that's the key to success because there are only so many generational talents in the league and cups are one, or I should say the cup is one by one team every year. And it doesn't always go to Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid. It's gone to Sidney Crosby three times. Yeah. But not and what's less times. frequent are generational talents that can be acquired in one off season because yes. almost every time those players are drafted, they're developed and they become that, you know, that generational talent that you don't just go out and acquire one. I'm trying to think of the last. I mean, the only one you could put anywhere near that boat recently would be like an Artemi Panarin who changed a franchise, but he's not at that point at that level, though he was obviously an elite, you know, Hart Trophy candidate level signing. But even that's once every 10, 15 years that that player even becomes available. Um, I, I And the Rangers haven't won you. anything yet. <laughs> right, right. They have, yeah. They've advanced around too. And yeah. I, I think, though, that's a player that sped up a team that was maybe closer to the Kings in the pro. I think it sped their rebuild up pretty substantially when they added him. It vaulted them into a contender-ish status, but it took that plus five. You know, se- several – we could go for days. Like, yeah. I, I, My point is you're right. I, yeah. I, that shouldn't be the takeaway from the series. Um. Not all teams are built to win a series when in the playoffs the same way. And that's not going to be how the Kings, this, this Kings team as constructed can win. Um, but there are internal and external improvements that the Kings can make and they have every resource with which to make them. And if the Kings did have a generational talent, Drew Doughty is the closest thing they've got to it. And Drew Doughty was not available for this series. So And he's a different kind of generational talent, right? Like But no less talented and yeah, you know. Yeah. He's not gonna break a game with with one speedy wraparound attempt that he buries on the fourth rebound like McDavid's goal in game seven, right? But he's the guy who's going to stop McDavid from doing it. Yeah. Um and he wasn't available, as you noted, and you don't just call up a Drew Doughty from the AHL to step in. 
Right, Doesn't exactly. Mean, Although we good. tried what seven times. <laughs> yeah, and it, 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 it got him, got him pretty close. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so that is the series, and uh, as I said, disappointing, missed opportunity, but in the final analysis, I think more positive than than negative. Um, and I'm sort of shocked because. I think this might be the first time that I can remember where I was. I'm always disappointed when they lose in the playoffs. And now I apologize, Zach. I'm about to go through some, <laughs> some history. Um, 93, they lose the final. That was heartbreaking. Then they don't make the playoffs for, I don't remember, six years, five years. They get swept by St. Louis in 98, which was just a horrible, horrible series, which I will never, ever, ever get over. They miss the playoffs the following year. They make it against Detroit in 2000. It's a sweep. I guess I feel probably about the same way that I did the Detroit series because they hadn't had any success in the playoffs and the team had struggled since 93. And Detroit was so good. They got swept, but it was like, yeah, okay, but we're, we got something here. And then the next year they beat Detroit. So it was amazing. And then they lost to Colorado in seven. So that wasn't that tough. Then the next year, they lost to Colorado in seven again. So I've seen a lot of people compare this year to 2010 or 2011. But to me, it's a lot more like 2000, 2001. I guess it depends. Like, because, you know, those those Kings teams didn't didn't win much. Mm, no, they did not. Um, <laughs> but they were fun. So I guess you, I guess you hope that the ending is different. Um, yeah. But you're talking to the wrong guy to have any emotions on those games. Right. Like they, were, <laughs> they were up past my bedtime as a 10 year old, but um, I'll, I'll defer to you there. You, uh, you, you've been through it. So you, well, you, know, well, so the, you know, the feelings, right? Yeah. The teams, I mean, in the, in 2000, 2001, 2002, now that I wasn't even planning on thinking about this, but now it's all I can think about. Um, <laughs> they were, they acquired Ziggy Palfi. They acquired Adam Deadmar, Joseph Stumpel, Jason Allison. Maybe they, we they, can reincarnate Ziggy Palfi. I mean, and put him onto this team. I mean, Victor Arvidsson, number 33. Like, you know. That's true. That's true. And <laughs> Acquired in a trade. Uh, yeah. And the last time, didn't we decide the last time two guys were acquired in an offseason and both scored 20 uh, goals their first season was uh, Smolensky it was and Palfi. Z- it was Ziggy Palfi, you're right. All right. Well, there he goes. Deneau maybe he's and, already uh, been. Maybe. Yeah. Well, then, we'll, then we'll clone him. But those teams were derailed by unbelievable, unforeseen, catastrophic injuries to everybody. So they didn't win anything, but I'm not sure that it can be blamed on anything other than weird, horrible karmic luck. Um, anyway, total non sequitur doesn't matter how I feel about the uh, series. Let's get into the uh, media availabilities that we did this morning. We're going to use your notes as sort of a, uh, a guide through them because, man, Zach... Um, these took a long time. Yeah. And I'm glad yeah. for it, but man, did these take a long time. You um, were the, you were the soldier on the ground today. Yeah. Um, I was not, um, I've, I've certainly listened in post and it, it took me a long time to listen. Yeah. I was laying on my couch, so I can only imagine being and in that I, room for, we'll say four hours. I don't, I don't frequently do this, but I do want to give a huge, uh, round of applause and thanks to trevor raybone and phil and everybody on the production staff because 
Yeah. The somebody somebody reached out to me and was like, I don't understand why is this taking so long? You know, and this was at three o'clock in the afternoon. Somebody reached out to me like, you guys wrapped up around one or something. And I was like, yes, well, there's 11 of these. And yeah. a number of people in them swore. <laughs> Yeah. And so somebody's got to sit there, listen to all of them and make sure that they're acceptable. Um, and it takes time. Edit, export, up yeah. like. And, at, it, all, and they still got them out pretty quickly. Todd McClellan was a half hour interview. Yes. yes now, I'm sure that they have better technology and computers than what I was using with the Ontario Rain. But if I had to export a 30 minute video. When I when I did that in Ontario, sometimes like my computer was out of service the entire time that video was exporting. Yeah. So it was like, oh, well, I'll do something else for the next, you know, 30, 45 minutes. Yeah. So the fact that these videos are even available at all um, today uh, is, is uh, not tomorrow, but today is is great. And uh, insert an applause effect or something. That's, yeah, that's pretty damn good. It is. And, you know, in a in a different world where the priority is making sure that fans see the end of season comments as they happen, it could have been done live, I suppose, but that just not. Just but then not the you world open up in. to the swears. You know, there's a lot yeah. of a lot of reasons to and yeah to and from right, especially when you don't you don't know exactly when this is going to happen until hockey ops tells you yeah it can happen. <laughs> so it's a lot of a lot of turnaround too for. Uh, 9 a.m. on a Monday. So I, I think the turnaround was, was so impressive. Yeah. Agreed. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice. But you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages, looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated. We call bullshit. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. So we're going to go through it and not represented in your notes. And I don't know if you've listened to this one yet, but the first person we got a chance to talk to was Dustin Brown. And I don't want to start crying. Okay. (laughs) But Dustin Brown, I'm going to miss Dustin Brown in a way that I hadn't properly processed at his retirement announcement. And he's great. That's really all I got is that Dustin Brown is great. I actually did mean to go in and add that Dustin Brown said he will not unretire. Today's notes strictly about being tangible and, Dustin Brown deserves his own day on the site, which he will yeah. get this week. Um, I'll take his interview by itself, not with any other players, and make sure that that is properly represented. Um, but every time I've spoken with Dustin Brown in a formal media setting, I learn something about, I look at something a different way. I appreciate something I didn't appreciate, or I, I just have a takeaway that's unique to Dustin Brown. And I've always really loved that about him. He doesn't speak with that canned, uninteresting, you know, style. Yep. He always says it the way he feels it, even if he's, he'll even sometimes preface it with like, I, I don't know if anyone else feels that way, but I like, that's just how I see it. And I always really appreciated that. And, you know, you got to watch him as a player for 18 years. I, I really only did for a few. Um, but 
never have I listened to a Dustin Brown interview and not been like captivated by what he was saying. And that just goes probably times two or three today. I'm wary of how this will sound. And so I'm going to preface it by saying this is not a commentary on any of the other players in the organization. But listening to Dustin Brown at his retirement ceremony and today, I cannot believe that the coaching staff and the front office at the time felt that taking the captaincy away from him would in any way be effective. Um, and it proved not to be. And I, I don't think that, I don't think that the consequences of that action, I don't think that action is responsible for the, the struggles that the organization went through, but I, I don't get it. When you hear, when you listen to him talk about, teamwork and energy and mentality and and what it means to be a part of this organization and this franchise and how it was important to him to leave it in a better place than when he arrived um i, I was just really struck um and i and i can't wait for everybody to uh to get to listen to him because he he is an incredibly genuine person and uh, like I said, I'm going to miss Dustin Brown. And I have not always been Dustin Brown's biggest um, promoter. I certainly was never one of those people who was a detractor, but he struggled for a few years and, you know, unclear as to why. And, um, you know, I believe in acknowledging when people struggle, but even during the struggles, he still maintained, you know, that perspective and and anyway this is not the dustin brown episode we'll do that later so <laughs> yeah but i just wanted I think, to say he i think came he'll i think he's one of the kind of players who whose impact on this current team will be felt long after he's left you know the things you just talked about exudes those qualities that i think will will rub off on on some of these players who will remain with the team you know long beyond game seven when which was dustin brown's last game uh, we also got a chance to talk to Drew Doughty and, you know, the, <laughs> Drew Doughty, you could feel how, how much he wanted to be a part of that series. Yeah, for sure. And then, then to hear Rob Blake a few hours later, talk about how Drew walked into his office and was like, see, I could, I could do it. Like, yeah. About <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> He's like, Drew. <laughs> like, yeah. But like, he, he was just like, ah, if we made the final, I don't even care. I was going out. Like you could tell that he, it, it hurt. It was killing him. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it was killing him to not be able to do contribute in all the ways that he could have. Um, but it says a lot about him that he still found a way to contribute and be a part of the team with what he did do. Um, and his, the night and day between his 2022 exit interview and his 2021 exit interview, I think speaks volumes about where he's come, where this team has come and how happy he is with how this team has come along. I'm always cognizant, particularly when it comes to Drew Doughty, of how much players are asked about other players. You know, hey, you know, Anze, what do you say about Phil? Hey, Phil, what do you mm -hmm. say about Trevor? Hey, Trevor, what do you say about yeah. Sean? Hey, Sean, what do you say about like, and it's always, right. you're always asking these guys to talk about the other guys because they're who we have to talk to. And 
you know, the coach isn't going to just talk about every player on the roster whenever we want him to. The reason I bring it up is because uh, Mikey Anderson had himself a series Um, and listening to Drew Doughty talk about Mikey Anderson, knowing what an effective pair they are and knowing how, how well I, I believe that Drew Doughty, one of the things that makes Drew Doughty incredible is his innate understanding of the game, whatever that means. And so to listen to him talk excitedly about the growth in Mikey Anderson's game, knowing how effective they were as a pair when both healthy this season and knowing that next year, hopefully they'll get 82 games together. That was, it was really exciting. I mean, it's rare that, that, that at a, that at a, whatever exit interview media day, you know, I I want it to be September 24th already. (laughs) Let's go. Let's get back out there. Um, So that was fun. You got the sense too that Drew was really happy to see Mikey succeed without him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't surprised that it happened, but you could tell that he was happy too to see how well he played as his own man, right? Like he, Mikey, for a season and a half, just commonly got the Drew Doughty's partner label at times. And then I think in this playoffs, without Drew, you saw Mikey just playing the way that he can play and is like, man, this guy's doesn't matter. Right. And like Matt Roy is an excellent partner as well. They were a really effective pair, but you felt like Mikey Anderson dash anyone would have been good because Mikey Anderson played that well. And it, it was really cool to see Drew talk about it because it was what we saw in the games as well with how good 44 was. And apologies. I don't remember where I saw this, but it was either on a King's message board or in, maybe it was one of the LA Kings insider comments. But somebody said <laughs> it's going to take somebody with like basically the testicular fortitude of Drew Doughty to be the first one to refer to his defensive partner as Mike. <laughs> so, Mike like, Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> you want to add some toughness on the back end, just drop the Y. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no one's messing some... with Mike Anderson. Exactly. Right? Mike Anderson's a dude. <laughs> That's a tough. Yeah. Toyota Tundra driving. That's right. Mikey Anderson's yeah. got a baby shot, but Mike Anderson's got a a booming slap. Mike Anderson is going to hammer the puck from the That's point. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the next, uh, we didn't actually talk to Victor Arvidsson, but we heard a lot about Victor Arvidsson. And uh, herniated disc, he will have surgery on the 17th. So probably today when you're listening to this or maybe yesterday. And I saw somebody, this was in the insider comment section, and Zach, I've talked about this before, and I I don't use this language to be judgmental or critical of the organization. I use this language because I want people to have a better understanding of how the industry works, because I believe genuinely in my heart of heart that happiness is measured by expectation. And so Mm -hmm. I want people to have reasonable expectations so that they can have as much happiness in their life as possible. This podcast is actually a public service uh, act. All of that is an intro to say, yeah, you guys, the front office and the coaching staff will lie to you. Yeah, it happens. It is a hundred percent a part of this industry. And when you say it to their face, they will act indignant. And there are journalists who carry water for the organization who will act indignant when you bring it up in front of them. And it's all, it, it just happens when, when Victor Arvidsson left the ice in the middle of practice, we all saw it. 
<laughs> we all noted it. Todd McClellan was asked after the practice, and yes, he said he laughed at the idea that there was anything wrong with Victor Arvidsson and said he's got a personal issue to attend to, and then we never saw Victor Arvidsson again. And Right. And we found That's out today accurate, that, right? the, that the, yeah. the personal issue was a slip disc in his back that is going to require surgery to fix. Um, you look at the progression of events, right? Because by the end of the series, we knew that Victor Arvidsson was injured and we knew that he was out for the series. Yeah. So by that point, you basically had every reasonable piece of information you could, could expect to have gotten from a coach at this time of the year. Um. And I'm going to also guess that at that practice that Saturday before game one, the extent of the injury was not known. Couldn't I'm going to guess by what was said today that there was hope at that time that Victor Arvidsson would play in that series because it was said as much that at first, you know, it was tried to be managed and worked to where he could come back and play. Um, so while, yeah, like there was more to it than what was said, it's not like, the second he stepped off the ice, Todd McClellan was like, oh man, lost Victor Arvidsson for the year, right? right? Like there's no way that it went from zero to 100 that fast. I know, I know it didn't. And so, the consequences of saying out loud to us, oh yeah, Victor, yeah, he left practice today because, you know, he felt something wrong in his back. We'll figure it out. Then he comes back, plays game one, and Evander Kane gets a chance to, you know, cross-check him in the lower back in the corner because he saw the report because guys know yeah. what's happening and you know and you don't want that so they're not going to tell and, you and it's that's I mean, he spelled it out i think it was after maybe it was between three and four of like guys like at this time of the year we're we're gonna be protective of this information right or wrong we're gonna do it yeah and why why take 33 off of edmonton's board if you're the Kings, right. Yeah. You know, why, why, why take your third leading goal scorer out of their minds completely when you can maybe keep him in the picture a little bit longer. And I, this is just me being a scold um, apologies in advance. I understand, believe me, I understand the impulse to want to know what's happening, right? I got the texts yeah. from my dad, every game phone calls every day in between, you know, I work for the team. I'm going to practice. He knows when I'm going and when I'm not. And every day, what's going on with Victor Arvidsson? What's going on with Victor Arvidsson? Who's hurt? Who's yeah. not? And I had to say, I don't know because I didn't. Mm -hmm. And, and I get it. It's frustrating. You want to know. Right. But it's also none of our business. The games happen. The players who play in the games play in the games and the players that don't don't. <laughs> and as much as we all want to know, um, it's kind of like does us knowing at 1130, whether a player will play or not impact the your experience at seven? No, not really. Like it's cool to know at eleven thirty as opposed to six thirty when the players take their rushes and warmups, and we know for sure. But like, it's not like you're going to go about your day differently. Yeah, and or, I, and I also want to be know. clear: nobody told us to say this because that's another thing that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not sure if it's yeah. joking or sincere, but I've seen people suggest that that somehow. Uh, not just you and I, but others are given, you know, uh, talking points. Um, and I trust me, everybody's far I give too you talking busy. points all the time and you don't use I them. blow so through. I blow that right one through is wrong. <laughs> that one is wrong. That one is wrong. So that, that, that viewpoint can go right out the window. Yeah. 
the, so that brings us to uh, Alex I follow and probably the one remaining mystery left from this season. Uh, Rob Blake said that three players played in the postseason with shoulder injuries. Alex Iafalo identified himself as one of them. Mm-hmm. So that leaves two more players that we, we do not know, and I don't expect that we will find out. But I will use Alex Iafalo's season and the conversations that surrounded him for the last, what, three months maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that we know when he hurt his shoulder. And certainly he was asked about his slump, his yeah. scoring slump. And he didn't seem to draw, at least from my perspective, he didn't seem to draw a direct line between the shoulder injury and the slump. So it wasn't I like he so said, yeah. it wasn't like he said, so, oh, well, I hurt my shoulder in January. And that's why right. 20 games went right. by without, you know, um, even if that was the case, I wouldn't expect him to do it. So not sure that that's no. evidence one way or the other, but just a reminder that these guys go through all sorts of stuff that we never know about. Really. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Alex, I follows practice availability at a certain point in the series went down, wasn't really noticed, wasn't picked up on a ton, but that did happen. He was, he was clearly managing what he then told us about today and played through it. And I think he had what, five points in the series. Like it's hard to be like, Oh, he killed us in the series. Like he, he scored decently well. I thought he, thought he took ownership of his struggles in season um, about as well as you could have asked. I think he, yeah. Like, yeah, like I need to, I need to score more consistently across 82 games. He didn't hide from it or shrink from it. He was like, yeah, I got to be better in that instance. And I think that, that is like, Imagine what the Kings could could have in a, a player who does keep that pace up more consistently over 82 games. He he owned it and understands he's got to be more consistent over 82 next year. And actually, this reminds me of a of another point I just want to make. Again, just trying to help people with their expectations to increase the happiness. Um, a number of and Ed is I'm a I'm a people person. Yeah. I'm a helper. Um, a number of the players were asked a very specific question and gave a very specific answer that by the letter of the law was factually accurate. But then when Rob Blake came out and said, yeah, three guys had shoulder injuries, you mm-hmm. realize, oh, you have to pay attention to the language. So a number of players were asked, all right, season's over. Any surgeries or things that need to be fixed coming up? They weren't Mm -hmm. asked, were you hurt or were you playing hurt? They asked, do you have anything to fix and are there any surgeries? Well, there aren't any surgeries except for Victor Arvidsson. Right. And there's nothing to fix. But that doesn't mean that those three guys that Rob Blake mentioned weren't playing hurt. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. And, and, you know, he he declined to to specify who those players are, which is his right to do so. Alex, I follow spoke before Blake and identified himself that shoulder was his specific injury. Yeah. We don't know who the other two individuals are. Um, but at that time of the year to, to think that the Kings were hundred percent healthy in that series, to think that Edmonton was hundred percent healthy in that series would be an absolute myth. And just mm-hmm. because we don't have an NFL injury report that says player injury type status level doesn't mean there weren't several questionables on that list for the LA Kings at times in the series or, 
mate or not a hundred percenters, I guess we'll put it because yeah. that, that's obviously the case. And again, I've seen people say, well, player X was asked if he was hurt and he said no. So therefore, bye bye. And I'm just saying like, they weren't asked. Nobody was asked if they were hurt. They were all asked if there was anything that needed to be fixed or if there were any right. surgeries coming. And they all said no. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to another one of them uh, in a moment. Uh, actually, we'll get them to him right now because the next player on your notes was Jonathan Quick. And uh, right off the hop, Quick did not indicate any injuries in his own exit interview, though Blake shared that Matt Volta was recalled from AHL Ontario before game six as a precautionary manager related to Quick. So here's a perfect example. Jonathan Quick was asked point blank, any surgeries or anything that needs to be fixed. Mm. <laughs> he wasn't asked, you know, did you tweak anything that, that mm-hmm. you know, would lead the team to make a precautionary recall, emergency recall of a backup goalie? Jonathan Quick answered the question that was asked of him. He's not planning yeah. on having surgery. Nothing nope. needs to be fixed. Yeah. But they did make an emergency recall of a, of a goaltender as a precautionary measure um, relating to something that happened with Jonathan quick. So again, this is all like, we're just parsing out every possible word and interpretation, but I just want to, just want to hammer home that, that point for folks. Um, now, having said that, Jonathan quick was amazing. Jonathan quick's always amazing in the playoffs. <laughs> and uh, you look at when Matthew Villalta was recalled, it was between games five and six. Yeah. And I don't think there was a person on the planet who wasn't like, oh my God, Jonathan Quick in game seven, like outstanding, sensational, insert your own adjective. So yeah. whatever it was did not hamper him or the Kings in game seven. I don't think anyone watched game six and said, oh, goaltending cost the team. Right. <laughs> right. As Blake added, right. I think it was, there's no way he was not playing those games. Yeah. Um, but when you have the opportunity to give yourself a worst case backup, say that an Say that whatever, I don't. I think the the phrase used was just like something with John. He didn't. Blake didn't say injury. He just said some stuff with yeah. John Quick. If that stuff, maybe maybe he got run in the game, and that stuff. I don't know. Who knows what happened? You have the guy to plug in instead of an e bug. And even if it's even if there is a two percent additional risk, why not make that move and just cover yourself if it happens? So that way. You've got a your number three organizational goalie sitting on the bench instead of some dude who's yeah. at the ring. Although, again, when we, t- we talked to Jared Schaffern about this earlier today, uh, because of injuries, it was perhaps your three A, three B organizational goalie. Because though Sparks did play for Ontario in games two and three of the Colorado series, he had been dealing with his own injury. Um, and so Volalta was the was the choice over Sparks because in case there he was pressed into service, um, although it would have taken Cal Peterson presumably getting hurt too, but crazier yeah. things have happened. Uh, another injured player to talk about, Sean Walker. Um, I thought the phrase that Rob Blake used was perfect, uh, asked sort of for a status update on Sean Walker, and he said he's exactly where he needs to be right now. Perfect, right? Um, you know, Sean Walker is skating, as Rob Blake confirmed. If you go to Toyota Sports Performance Center or did early enough, you'd see that he was out there skating, you know, in a tracksuit, progressing to gear, which is an awesome sign, was a part of the team on the on their travels on the road. 
which was cool to see. Um, and he was kind of playing a role the way that, that Drew Doughty was. Um, so he's right where you expect him to be. Blake kind of talks like, hey, he's got a full summer to rehab as he should. Um, and the way that Rob Blake talked about Sean Walker, it wasn't like, we'll see with him. It was like, he's going to get healthy and he's going to be a part of this lineup because we like what he brings. Um, so I, I thought that was pretty evident too with with how his situation was talked about. Yeah, and all of the stuff that I was talking at the beginning of the season about how they have too many guys and all these decisions need to be made this season. Well, here we are in the offseason and none of them got made. <laughs> it remains to be seen if any of them will be made. Um, but Sean I don't think won. you'll ever use the phrase no, too many guys. I'm scared ever to again at this in point. Your entire life <laughs> after to. what happened this year, yeah. right? I'm I will um, forever now refer to the penalty where you have uh, an extra player on the ice by something else. I won't. Uh, yeah, I won't. it'll be renamed. Yeah, it'll be exactly. renamed. Benchmark. Uh, yeah, or something. Yeah, delay of game, uh, excessive yeah. manpower. There's no such thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adrian Kempe was discussed and we got a chance to talk to him. He was asked point blank. Do you want to sign a long-term extension? He said, yes. Rob Blake was asked Mm -hmm. if the organization wants to sign Adrian Kempe to a long-term extension. He said, yes, it seems a fait accompli at this point. Um, just a matter of figuring out the years and the dollars. It's nice when they come together like that. Um, (laughs) the takeaways I had was like both sides want to do it. Um, both sides talked, agreed that they want to do it, but, had no rush in doing it. And the reason they have no rush is because the player is a restricted free agent, not an unrestricted free agent, which means there is no July, whatever deadline to sign a contract with Adrian Kempe. He's under team control. They can take their time. They can find the number that works for both sides, both in terms of years and dollars, and they can get it done. Didn't, you know, I think number one priority was the phrase used. Um, So it seems like everyone's on the same page there, which is cool. If this were a more cutthroat league, or if the NHL had a head writer, um, some other team would offer him an outrageous offer sheet. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the, the Ducks would come along and sign him to, you know, a seven-year, it's possible nine million dollar contract a year offer sheet, and put the Kings in a situation where they had to either match or lose him. Um, yeah. I don't know what the Ducks cap situation is, but I imagine they have the room to do it. Uh, but it's not that kind of league and uh, the league doesn't have a head writer. So I don't anticipate some sort of Carolina Montreal esque drama surrounding that 9.9 million for number nine. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Carolina esque. I do love when players do that, right? Like when Sidney Crosby signs an 8.7 million, uh, you know, per year because he's 87 because he was born in, I don't know, whatever, August 7th or something. Anyway, um, Carl Grunstrom, uh, was talked about. We didn't get a chance to talk to him, but lots of lots of very kind words for Carl Grundstrom. He will play in the uh, IIHF World Championships for Team Sweden. The tournament's underway, which I did not realize until today. Um, but be curious to see how he performs over there. Good for Carl Grundstrom. Um, I went and looked at their roster real quick. They only had two forwards who played in the NHL this season. So you have to imagine they're bringing him over to play a very prominent role for that team. Um, thought it was cool. I think it was McClellan who said that as he met with certain players, those players expressed to him that they felt that from last year to this year, Carl Grunstrom was the most improved player on the team, um, which I, I think he really came out in the playoffs with, with his performance. You saw how effective his game can be. Uh, Dustin Brown talked about him a little bit, kind of, kind of alluded to without saying like 
there's he's got some of me in him, you know, like the way that he plays the game. He came um, so close to saying the thing that the fans have been saying, which is Carl Grunstrom is Dustin Brown light. Yeah, he, he touched on it, right? Like he, <laughs> yeah. he made you believe it. He, he danced around the whole thing while saying some really nice things in the process. Yeah. Um, but it was pretty clear that that he sees it, too, that you know, yeah. there's there is a part of his game in the way that Carl Grunstrom plays. And I, I think the word he uses, I have a soft spot for, mm-hmm. for Grunny because of the way that he plays. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, so we saw, we got a lot of great things about Carl Grunstrom today. Um, and then I think now it's, you know, where does Carl Grunstrom fit in the longer term plans? Um, but I think that the playoffs that he had season that he had at times says that he is going to factor into those plans. It's just, it's more of where than if. Now I'll let you uh, choose the next fork in the road. Do you want to talk about McClellan or Turcott first? Um, well, Turcott's is pretty simple, right? He has yeah. A concussion. Yeah. All right. Um, so he, he suffered an illegal yeah. check to the head and I think game one of that series, yeah. the guy got suspended. He got a concussion and it wasn't his first concussion of the year. Um, the last thing I think to speculate on in terms of injury is a concussion. You know, you never know how it affects an individual, um, and to what length. So that's the information we got. And I think to speculate any further, considering what the injury is would probably be say unwise. Yeah. I've got no speculation. I just feel really bad for Alex Turcott because he's a ton of fun to watch and watching him struggle to get off the ice after that hit in the Colorado series was, I mean, obviously it was just difficult from a human perspective, watching another human experience pain, but knowing how important hockey is to that family, knowing how much he loves his teammates, knowing how much he loves to compete. um, That was rough. That was real, real rough. Um, Let's talk about Todd McClellan because like you said, we got half an hour with him. Yeah. And uh, I feel like today offered a tremendous amount of perspective on who Todd McClellan is behind the scenes, you know, in the locker room and, and not the locker room at crypto, but the locker room at Toyota sports performance. Center. A number of players were asked what it's like to play for him, what kind of coach he is, what it is they like about playing for them. And the word teacher was used a number of times and drew Dowdy yep. drew a direct connect or com- comparison to Daryl Sutter and said that Todd McClellan was uh, now these are my words um, a lot more patient um, went to greater lengths to explain his, his coaching decisions. Um, drew Dowdy talked about the importance of the system, the importance of, mm-hmm. of the, the teaching process talked about how, McClellan does such a good job instilling the lessons that it was, I think, you know, he might've said second nature, or he said like, they don't even think about it when they're on the ice. They're just going into the, into the process of breaking out of the defending zone. And he said that Daryl Sutter was much more of a, of a, uh, a button pusher, you know, right. He said, uh, Todd McClellan doesn't play mind games. He treats everybody in the locker room with respect. He's a straight shooter. And I think that really came through this, <coughs> not just with how the organization handled the veterans, but also listening to Todd McClellan talk about the injuries, the call-ups, the kids, like just all of the stuff. You could sort of hear the patience and the affection in his voice for for his players. For sure. And to get 
a number one defenseman, a leader of your team, one of the best players in the league, to buy into that level, I think speaks to what you're saying, right? Like if that guy's buying in, a guy who can play in any system, could play outside the system and can produce pretty much no matter what, for him to be that bought in to explain of like how well he teaches, how how you know effective they know they can be within the system, like that speaks volumes to me of like, all right, he's got that group bought in. And that's awesome because, you know, if your Drew Doughty's are buying in, there's no reason for anyone else below him on the depth chart not to buy in. And I think that's really, really evident and really important. Rob Blake, I don't think Rob Blake meant to do this, but Rob Blake was asked, I don't even remember what the question was, but he was talking about Todd McClellan. And he talked about when Todd McClellan was hired, the importance of bringing somebody in who could who could build, essentially build the structure. Yeah. Um, build, build a culture, build a structure and, you know, start building from day one. And you look back to that season, uh, where John Stevens and Willie Desjardins were, were let go in that off season. I sort of half jokingly suggested that what the team really needed more than anything else, uh, was a team psychologist to evaluate where the franchise was and, choose the correct path forward from that point. You know, my thought process was, well, you can't just fire the the architects of your identity. Watch the identity crumble two years later and then expect that you can just bring in whoever, you know, Gerard Gallant, Barry Trotz, mm -hmm. whoever it is that you think would have been the guy, you know, you, you can't just bring in another voice and say, all right, well, everything's the same. It's just a different guy behind the bench now. So done and done back to cup contention. Um, so to hear Rob Blake say that, you know, they brought Todd in. It wasn't capricious. It wasn't arbitrary. It was with a very specific goal in mind. And yeah. it took, it took three years, but like you said, at the start of this short-term gains, at least they made the playoffs and they made the playoffs on the changes implemented by the coach and and to his credit the coach identified perfectly comfortably and accurately the shortcomings that the team currently had like they weren't ducking the special teams play they weren't ducking the mm -hmm. failure to score you know nobody was saying like well the system's perfect you know we just need better players or better execute you know what i mean there was no like oh well yeah. we're just a quick fix away it was like no this is a process it's taking a mm -hmm. while you know things are happening the way they were sort of expected to um and that was for me as a fan very very reassuring to hear them talk about it that way a lot of people i think mocked the plan mm -hmm. but now you see the powerpoint slide of what the plan is and it's playing out exactly as it was intended to, right? The first couple of years were about tearing down and building up the, the prospect pool while instilling the identity in the structure. And then this year you saw the identity in place, which Blake, I think, attributed, hey, this is this is what helped us make the playoffs. And then he said, now you have that base in place. Now you have to add talent on top of what's already here. The Kings have a lot of talent already, but he, he didn't, shy away from the fact that they need to add talent to what they have, whether that's through external improvements or internal growth. You know, he wasn't flat out saying, Oh, I'm going to sign this free agent. Like you can't do that. 
Yeah. Um, but he said, like, we have the structure we want. Now we need to add the right talent to make that structure and that identity better. And I thought that that was pretty lockstep with what Todd McClellan said as well. And has said all year. Yeah. We'll do a, an episode soon addressing all of the decisions that have to be made in the off season. But mm-hmm. one of the questions that I asked both Blake and McClellan, and I knew I wasn't going to get a fairly in-depth answer, but I got the answer that I was curious about was, you know, when you're evaluating, you know, like, let's just, let's just take the right side of the defense because it's simple, right? You have Dowdy, Roy, Walker, Dursey, and Spence all Mm -hmm. options at this point heading into training camp next year. Yeah. I mean, well, okay. Dowdy, let's take Dowdy out of that because Dowdy will have a spot. (laughs) Not an option. (laughs) Yeah. And, and frankly, at this point, I think Matt Roy is pretty much locked in at number two, but you've got, I don't don't even think Sean Walker is an option. I think it's more, what's his health? Like, is it, if he's good, like I thought, I thought Rob Blake made pretty clear today. Like he's there, you know, whether he's on the left or the right, but, but there you have, but, but the point is you have five guys that, that, if something cat if if for whatever reason Sean Walker wasn't ready come training yeah. camp, I would feel perfectly comfortable starting mm-hmm. next season with Drew Doughty, Matt Roy, and either Sean Dersey or Sean or uh, uh, Jordan Spence. Agreed on the right side. Yeah. So the question I had was, how much does seven games in the playoffs is an incredibly small sample size, and Jordan Spence yeah. didn't even get seven games. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to evaluate which players you want moving forward. You know, does Arthur Kaliev become the guy that goes up to the top six? Does Carl Grundstrom get a bigger role? You know, a lot of these guys are restricted free agents. Jared Anderson Dolan, Gabriel Velarde, Adrian Kempe, Carl Grundstrom. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. how much of an impact does their performance in the playoffs influence the final evaluation and i'm sure for every player it's different and you have to take into account matchups and health and all these sort of things but but again neither neither man rob blake nor todd mcclellan i felt today shied away from any question any criticism i mean there were no criticisms but there were questions about concern areas shall we say mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, i thought they i i appreciated the candor and the uh, frankness that we got from both of them. There's, there's transparency, right. To mm-hmm. pretty much like every question me. asked. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was my takeaway. I thought, um, yeah, there, there really wasn't a, there wasn't a contentious point. It wasn't like a defense of the King's power play. It was Todd McClellan saying <laughs> no. like, no, it, it was wasn't not. good. And we as coaches are, are mostly responsible for that. Like yeah. they took accountability for it and it wasn't like, Oh, you know, we have, we have all the goal scoring we need. It was like, here's, here's five internal cases of things that didn't even go as well as they could have. And here's why it was like, the Owen Arvidsson didn't even start scoring until January 1st. Yeah. And Arthur Kelly have shot 5% at even strength. And he brought specific details of like, without even adding a player, which they didn't shy away from either here are three or four or five ways that we can improve without adding a player because these things didn't even happen, you know, this year. So I I did appreciate that as well. Um, Thought it was like, Hey, here's an acknowledgement of the good and the bad. And here's maybe here's at least an acknowledgement that we can improve what we have. Um, And that was, that was, that was encouraging. 
Yeah. I think I'm going to wrap it up here, Zach, because we've been talking for a while and uh, I am still very tired. So I have to, I have to edit this and get it posted. My bottle but, of water ran out like 10 minutes ago. So yeah. I feel like I'm just getting raspier oh. by the minute. Perfect. Wow, I You're couldn't, I couldn't tell. Um, yeah. But uh, for those of you listening, thank you for listening all season long. Don't stop listening because uh, as I was telling uh, anybody that would listen, the next few weeks are actually probably the busiest time of year for me. Um, we'll have player evaluations. We will have not the kind of in-depth draft preview coverage that we've had in past years because the Kings don't have the second or fifth or uh, 20th over. Well, actually, yeah. they might have the 20th. Uh, where Do we know where they pick yet? We must, right? I can't say I've looked, but they they should know. Yeah, it's not a lot. I mean, the math is the math. Um it would be what? So there's 16 teams missed the playoffs. So it would be, I think they would be 19. Uh, well, now, now, now that we're but saying I, it out I, loud, I, don't know. I feel like maybe the first two rounds, uh, teams that get knocked out in the first two go by ranked order of finish, and then mm-hmm. so, but all the teams that made it are above the Kings and the standings, right? So it shouldn't matter. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, all right. So, whatever it is, <laughs> they have that big. So I, anyway, the point I, is, we'll do draft yeah. prep. <laughs> uh, we'll do player evals. We'll do draft prep. Uh, the draft will be here before you know it. Then, free agency will be here before you know it. Then, dev camp will be here before you know it. Then, the uh, Gretzky Alinka <laughs> Cup will be here before you know it. Then, we've got World Juniors yeah. in the summer. Crazy, crazy. And then uh, we'll have rookie camp, training camp. And we'll be back at it. So there will be plenty of content. And uh, obviously, Zach will have plenty of stuff at LAKingsInsider.com. And uh, heal up, Zach. I can't wait to see you face-to-face again. Yeah, soon enough. Uh, soon enough. We'll be yeah. back in the office, but in a lower-pressure setting. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you very soon.